Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode three of Denomination Discussion. I'm your host, Isaac Tretto, here to tell you all about the different branches of Christendom. Now, today, we're going to go a little out there with our topic, because I'm going to cover a denomination that is well-known, yet not too commonly discussed. We're going to go to the land of um, amber pastures, horses and buggies, milk cartons, and ex- pretending it's the 18th century. That's right. I'm talking about the Mennonite Amish Church. Yep, I I had to cover them eventually, and today just seemed like the right day. Now, these folks are very interesting folks, and they do a lot of things that a lot of us would see as weird or shameful. However, it is important to see how these people have ministered and how they have worked for the kingdom of God. So without any further ado, let's get in with a quick word of prayer. Alrighty then. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for all that you've done, God. I thank you, Lord God, that you have brought me this broadcast that I can tell all the world about you, God, and I can fulfill what you have spoken for us to do in the Great Commission of telling the whole world of your kingdom that its borders may be spread to every corner of the globe. I pray that this will be a light and a beacon for you, God, that everyone everywhere shall hear and know that you are God and you are genuine and that what you are may exist in many different forms. However, there is only one true God, and it is our duty to follow him. Amen. So, let's get right started. The Mennonite Church was founded alongside their evangelical brothers and sisters, and I guess you could say half-cousins, in the Anabaptist Germany in the late 1500s. Now, unfortunately, also like their evangelical brothers and sisters, they were brutally persecuted by the Anabaptist reign. Now, you see, many German kings and statesmen saw their beliefs as very radical and inferior and did not want them interfering with the way things were in the Anabaptist society. In fact, there would come a time where these Mennonites would be seen as means to be persecuted and enslaved by their captors, being the Anabaptist and, uh, to a degree, Catholics. Now, these folks were greatly persecuted and seen as lower in their home, and there would be times where people would literally beat them and slay them, just like in the Civil War, how we saw the African-American community beaten, enslaved, and starved. The same would be happening to these Mennonites. In fact, there is a famous story of a Mennonite who fled from his master, yet he saw his master, whom had been dying in a cold, freezing lake, and he rescued him. Unfortunately, this caused him to be arrested and sent straight back to the work camp. He would die, yet be a martyr for the Mennonite faith, which would go on to live many more great years of persecution. That was until Christopher Columbus in 1492 found the Americas. Well, this had been much prior to the founding of the church. However, they would not act upon it until much later, when it was deemed safe for other Europeans to travel. Eventually, the Dutch, or the people of Holland, as you may know, decided that it would be best if they got their own foothold alongside the Spanish, Portuguese, French, and English. So they decided to take whoever they wanted with them and go and start a colony. Among these would be the Mennonite Church, who would go as Pennsylvania Dutch, now known as Amish. Now, the Amish now would need a home to live in and to work and to generally break bread and just start life. But it was very hard for them to find this home at first because of just so many issues between persecution and not being able to live at the land. And just so many issues arose that they couldn't necessarily find the right place to settle. 
That was, of course, until the English would come around and take the territory owned by the Dutch and Swedes at the time, where the king at the time would owe a great debt to a man named William Penn. And William Penn said, look, you can have the debt forgiven. In exchange, I want a piece of land in the colonies. So therefore, he was given this piece of land, and it was called Penn's Woods, which would eventually become, you guessed it, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania would become the Jerusalem for the Amish church, and would become now their forever home. The Amish church would grow and grow and grow slowly until eventually the time came where it was the American Revolution. Initially, the Amish were not very open to the idea of an American Revolution, as they thought it was breaking of what was already a good system in place, and at the time they would not necessarily be sheltering of anyone who had been, per se, a part of this revolution, instead being what we call a Tory, or supporting the English crown. Now, what would happen was, over in Philadelphia, not too far from where the Amish lay ground, would be the radical start of the revolution, and would be where many of the founding fathers would start their footholds. However, the Amish tried very hard to repel themselves from their thoughts. However, their ears were inclined to listen, and they were forced to oblige. And the American Revolution would sweep the Amish church. Amish would go up in arms alongside their fellow brothers, Baptists, Anglicans, Presbyterians, Christians, other Christians, Jews, even Muslims were in this revolution. They all came together to fight the common enemy, and the common enemy they won. America had become a free country, and so too the Amish had the right to worship. Quick tangent here, for those of you who have remembered the pain of Ukraine, do keep in mind that I have not been completely objective to the idea of completely scrapping the idea. Stay tuned, as the pain in Ukraine may be coming back for a short time, but we will see shortly. Anyway, back on subject, the next 200 years would be the time in which Amish culture would flourish. The Amish would be able to lay down their rules, decide their culture, and determine how they are to live their lives. Amish are still a very prevalent group today, spanning all across the American Midwest and East Coast, and even having smaller communities in places like Wyoming, California, even, even as far as Alaska. Internationally, there are not too many Mennonite Amish. However, there are very small groups in the homeland of Germany, England, and France. Now, the Amish church is one of the most unchanging churches all throughout church history. Though they are relatively new to the scene of churches, despite their appearancely modernly old age, they are a very relevant yet new specter of the church. Yet they are a very small specter as well, considering of only about 4 million people, which when you look at the grand scheme of the entire church of about 4 billion people, that's pretty underwhelming if you ask me. That's about it of the history and current presence of the Amish. It's time we take a quick intermission and do... Communion Conundrum. That's right, everybody. My favorite part of the podcast. Let's get straight to it. So, Amish tend to have a more conservative and traditional view of communion, similar to that of Baptists, because obviously they're kind of like half-cousins and whatnot. The Amish tend to view communion in a very special way, however, seeing it as a brethren part, not much of a Christ part which unfortunately is rather wrong. However, it is nice that they like to have good communion with their brothers and sisters in a situation such as this. And surprisingly, Amish do not always use bread and wine in their communion. 
Sometimes they'll use things like crackers and well water, and some have even go so far as to use club soda, which seems very strange. However, God requires our best. So if that is the best they can do, then the best they can do. Let's go now into Amish culture and Amish beliefs nowadays. So, as the media has depicted across the years, Amish are depicted as stringent, strict, no good, pious people who want nothing more than to see the people of the modern century drown in sin, calling television sins and seeing cars as absolute menaces of the devil. But let me tell you, this is absolutely not true, and this is simply a stereotype of who the Amish truly are. Let's get down to the basics. Though Amish are traditional, they have changed throughout the years. They are not necessarily the image that most people depict. Instead, however, they are a lot more friendly towards people. The Amish like to consider themselves in two groups. The Dutch, which is the actual Amish people, and the English, who is anyone else who is not Amish. You could be British, Irish, um, French, Russian, Portuguese, Hispanic, Black. It doesn't matter. You're English according to the Amish. And they will label you as such. For instance, if you go to an Amish neighborhood, if you do not pertain to the Amish faith, they will label you as English. Another key factor of the Amish faith is that they do not necessarily welcome outsiders. Meaning, Amish cannot marry English, and English cannot marry Amish. Amish can only marry Amish, and so forth. If you want to become Amish, there are multiple processes to join the church. For instance, there are things called learning homes, in a sense where an Amish family will rent an apartment-sized room in their house for an English person to s settle in and live in until they grow accustomed to the Amish faith. Most Amish do not have schooling past 8th grade, and this had seen great issues in the early 1800s when laws were put in place that all students must go to school till age 16. So as a result, many Amish fathers would protest and not go to work in exchange for allowing their students to not go to school. The Pennsylvania School Board eventually agreed and allowed the Amish to be set within their vows so that the Amish school children and whatnot can grow to live off the land and not their brain. Which may seem a bit weird and indoctrinatious, but there is obviously good reasoning to all that they do. God bless the Amish in that sense, because to me that seems very strange, but you know, we gotta love them because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Continuing, there is a tradition in the Amish culture referred to as Rumspring. Rumspring exists for the Amish youth between the ages to 13 up to 25 or even beyond. It's whenever they feel like they're ready, where they can leave the Amish church temporarily to go explore the outside world. This is where you may see an Amish drive a car, go to a film, you know, have a cell phone, brush their teeth, which is actually quite true. Amish do not brush their teeth. However, they consume much less sugar and carbs than the average person, thus leading them to not need to brush their teeth as much. And I know it may seem very unsanitary, however, the Amish are very special in some way, and they do still clean their teeth and bathe. However, Amish don't use a shower like we do. They use an old-timey outhouse or water closet like they do in Europe. Continuing, a lot of people think that the Amish don't use phones. This is simply not true. However, you wouldn't see them with an iPhone or an Android or Samsung. They use an old-timey rotary phone like it's the 1920s. And these rotary phones are not in their houses. However, in a nice little booth outside called as a phone booth. They see this as an idea of that a phone 
occupies your time from the family, and the Amish want to keep you with the family as much as possible. Therefore, you cannot mix the two. On the notion of family, Amish love to stay very close to one another, hence why they do not allow cars for their believers. Amish believe that cars are the wheels of keeping people away, because with a car, you can go many distances in a short time, which can lead you to go away. When an Amish grandchild asked his grandfather, Grandfather, why do we have the buggies? He responded, The buggies keep us close to ho home. The horses and buggies are slow, therefore we can't go far. Which also is funny, because there is a group of people known as Amish chauffeurs, which drive Amish to, say, the hospital when a woman is in labor, or to the airport if they need to catch a flight. And yes, this may seem weird, but Amish can go to airports and fly. The Amish church is very simple. In fact, Amish people don't necessarily have a permanent church building. Sometimes they will meet in a house, sometimes in a field, sometimes they will even meet in a barnyard. Which makes sense because Amish are very fervent farmers, and most of what they do is farm. Now, what Amish like to do is they have what's called buggy churches, where most of the church furniture, paper, doctrine, and whatnot is carried within a truck and brought wherever church service may be held that day. It's quite special, really. Imagine that, that your local church all can exist within a buggy and go wherever it need be in the matter of minutes. It surely is wonderful of the Amish. Now, let's get into our little conclusion of the day. The Amish, despite their flaws, and despite the many things they've got wrong, do have one thing that I believe is very beautiful, and that's closeness to family. In this same way, we should express our closeness to God, because without God, we are nothing. The Amish believe very fervently that family comes first, in the same way we must believe that God comes first. Even though Amish are stringent in their ways and remain true to what was before, not wanting to progress, we must be the same way with our faith. We cannot compromise our faith for what may be seen as New Age. For instance, there are many churches out there who are succumbing to the new way of thinking, allowing things such as homosexuality and abortion and things that are not necessarily of God. This is something we all must avoid in our churches, and this is something I believe the Amish do a bit too well. With that in mind, I believe it's time we close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Mennonite church and all that they have gone through through their history, God. I pray, Lord, that though they may be a secluded and small people, you may bless them truly, that they may see your grace, and they may know your love, that they may not falter or fall in their faith, and that they may know that you are true and you are genuine, God. I pray that they may be disciples, Lord God, that they may give the right gospel at the right time, that everyone on all corners of the earth may proclaim your faith. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that's all from me. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and I'll be glad to see you next week. Goodbye, and God bless you.